started my money journey and when I was repaying my money journey, I was doing everything by the book. I was restricting my spend to the extreme. I wasn't letting myself spend any money on non-essentials. I had nothing to enjoy. I was driving to work every single morning, driving home, staying home because I needed to save money, paying my debt, and that was it. That was my entire life. And so like I just felt trapped and it didn't feel good enough. And I was like completely struggling with this idea that I'm doing all this right and why do I still feel miserable? Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Before we hop into the episode, I have some great news for you. Today's guest, Alyssa Davies, will be talking all about her book, Financial First Aid. And guess what? I have a special treat. We have five copies of Alyssa's book to give to lucky podcast listeners like yourself and fans of Journey to Launch. So here's what you have to do to be entered to win. For Apple Podcast listeners, leave a review for the Journey to Launch podcast on Apple Podcasts. That's the purple app on your iPhone and or follow me on Journey to Launch, at Journey to Launch on Instagram. So for those of you who don't listen in Apple Podcasts, follow me on Instagram at Journey to Launch. Then from there, go to journeytolaunch.com slash win and enter your name and email. That is a must. You have to do that to be entered in. So we see the list of people who are entering into this giveaway. The giveaway will be live from Wednesday, June 8th to Monday, June 13th. And we will announce the winners on June 15th via social media and the weekly newsletter, and we'll reach out to you personally. But to enter a chance to win, go to journeytolaunch.com slash win. Make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts for the Journey to Launch podcast. Follow me wherever you're listening to this podcast, by the way, and follow me at Journey to Launch. All right, good luck. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers, I have a special guest. All my guests are special, but you know, I've been following this guest for a while now and I just love her content and her vibe online. It's so creative. And once we start talking, you'll be able to check her out and see what exactly I mean. She's the author of a new book called Financial First Aid. Her name is Alyssa Davies. She's also the founder of Mixed Up Money. She's a content manager for Zolo and has been featured numerous times on award-winning sites and publications. She has an award-winning Canadian personal finance blog, Mixed Up Money. And again, her new book is called Financial First Aid. We're going to talk all about it. So welcome to the podcast, Alyssa. Thanks so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here because, yeah, huge fan of yours as well. Oh, thank you. So with your content, like, and I just, your visual elements, right? I know it's like 
funny starting out this, the conversation this way, but I do think like it matters because there's so much content online about personal finance and a lot of it looks the same, you know, like, and I think when you can create strong content, but it's also backed with education, but like strong messaging, but then it's visually appealing, like that matters, whether, you know, if you're someone's listening, that's a business owner or even in the personal finance space. So I'm really curious, like how you came up with the concept for your, like your brand and how you thought through kind of like the visual elements. And if you want, tell everyone where they could find your Instagram so they can see how pretty it is. Absolutely. My Instagram is at Mixed Up Money. I'm on everywhere at Mixed Up Money. So <laughs> easy to find. <laughs> but yeah, the the illustrations, I actually, it was kind of a fluke, to be honest. Like I sat down in 2020, right after the pandemic had started. And I hadn't been on Instagram very much at that point. I was really focused on Twitter. And I was like, you can only do one thing at a time. Like I don't have the time for this. And then I started to fall back in love with Instagram. And I realized that mostly every influencer or financial account that you found on there was all the face of someone. And that was intimidating to me. It made me feel uncomfortable. And so I was like, how can I still put myself out there but remove that discomfort? And so I just started doodling on my iPad and they started out rough. Like they were sick figures. (laughs) (laughs) And then I started to spend hours every single night watching YouTube videos and learning how to draw. And then I bought all of the equipment to do it. And yeah, I fell in love with it. And so did everyone else. Oh my gosh. Wait, so did you know how to draw? You must have had an artistic background. Did you know how to draw before? Not at all. Like I was terrible at art, musical background. So I was like, I can make this work. (laughs) And yeah, I've learned a ton. Like there are so many great tutorials. So that was definitely helpful. Now I feel like this conversation can go so many ways because I'm so impressed. This like speaks directly to learning something like that you may not have had, you know, experience in or you don't think that you're that good at. I'm telling you people, you got to go look at Alyssa's Instagram mixed up money and the illustration she does. So the fact that you just said that you are an art, because I was expecting you to say, yes, I was an art, you know, major. I did. I, I drew as a kid, like I was really good at that. And I just took my talents and merged it with personal finance. But it's just like, I'm so impressed that you were able to teach yourself this. And it's so um, inspiring because literally, like if we put our mind, any one of us, like if we put our mind to something, think about like what we can create. It's beautiful. Oh man, I talk about that in the book. Like I talk about how we're all so afraid of learning new things and we're immediately expecting to fail. I speak to my kids. It's like my daughter, how long it takes her to before she gives up on something and just like making that, feel more normal in our household. Like it's okay to be bad at something. You're never going to be perfect at something right away. Especially when you're comparing yourself to someone who has years and years of progress over you. Yes. And I mean, this is perfect kind of segue into money because the name of it is financial first aid and being ready and financial preparedness. So it's the uh, subtext is essential tools for confident, secure money management. And it's interesting because you talk a little bit about your like background, um, like at growing up and how you were secure, like really secure with money. And it was a privilege. And I want to go there and then we could kind of jump into like what you do now and how you got so interested in this lane. But how was your security? Like you would think the fact that you were so secure and you had things provided to you or you grew up like a middle class, would you say, lifestyle? It sounds like you didn't really have any like horrible money memories but that still didn't equate to you being fully confident or 
understanding money as you grew up. Can you talk a little bit about that? For sure. Yeah. I feel like I'm an advocate and a lot of people are now finally for saying like, this is my privilege. This is how it impacts my money journey. And you may not be able to resonate with me because I have different experiences. And I feel like it's important to acknowledge that. But yeah, I grew up in like a normal in air quotes household and I didn't worry about money. But at the same time, we never spoke about money. And so when I finally went out on my own and wanted to be independent, I realized really quickly that I had no idea what things actually cost, how to actually manage my money. And I was just living my life as if I had all of the same foundational tools that my parents had, which you absolutely do not when you first go out on your own. I was just filling out my credit card, living in the moment, not thinking about my future at all. And I quickly got into the living paycheck to paycheck cycle, unable to pay my bills, uh, amassing amount, like a, a bunch of consumer debt. And it was the first time I'd experienced any sort of scarcity. And I didn't I had so much shame that I didn't want to ask for help. And I didn't feel like that was okay to ask for help because I shouldn't be in that position. Yeah. And, you know, I do feel there's so, yes, there are so many people who grow up, you know, in poverty or who have the memories of money. Like it's distinct. It stands out. It becomes like their origin story when it, they're talking about like their financial journey. And then there are so many other people where, you know, money was like in the background. It wasn't a big conversation. And so the, I almost feel like they don't feel like they have like an equal kind of, I don't know, right to the problems that they are incurring. Like granted, maybe, you know, yes, they maybe grew up more privileged if they never had to worry about money. But I just feel like there's almost like a hero's journey for everyone when it comes to money. Even if you do grow up with it or have a lot of it, because there's still like this coming to terms moment about how you deal with it, the shame with it, managing it properly, all these things. So I just... I just feel like so many people more than we know can probably relate to your story of, yeah, we had money. Money was not really discussed, but we were okay. But I really didn't understand it. And that's what got me in trouble as I got older. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish that it was more spoken about and not not that it's not spoken about, but more in a comfortable way so that everyone feels like they have a part to play. Like so many people are looking for the perfect expert to break down the situation for them. And it's like sometimes you just need a friend. You can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. And like, I need someone to talk to about it. Right. It's really sometimes not the, always looking for like the answer, but just hearing that you're not alone, which you talk about a lot about. So again, this is all about like preparing yourself and you talk a lot about like anxiety and dealing with money. So I want to like go back and talk about like foundationally what people can do to help build their financial aid kit. I know you talk a lot about emergency funds which I love, like you're very specific about what to do in certain situations, you know, like what to do with a job loss, what to do if you have medical debt or if you need to deal with debt or financial abuse even. But let's go back to just the foundational, what you think people need to start doing if they want to start building that toolbox. And it sounds like emergency funds are big and high up on that list for you. Yes, absolutely. I think that when you're starting from scratch, Emergency funds and saving for anything is extremely intimidating. It's like you hear people saying, you know, you need three to six months of expenses. And for a lot of people, that's like thousands of dollars. And so it's, it's intimidating. And it's like, where am I going to start? But the first thing I always say is, well, everyone's starting with zero dollars in their emergency fund. 
So it doesn't matter how small the transfer that you make is, as long as you're making that transfer. Because if you don't have any sort of backup plan for your finances, that's when you'll continue to stay in the cycle of financial struggle or the inability to pay your bills on time, or just like having that fear that exists with the unknown. And that's something I really struggle with. No matter how much money I have saved, I still think about like the what ifs. And so I think like that's the best place to start is just set up a small transfer, no matter how much you have. And then once you start to build the fund, you can look at diversifying those funds into more compartmentalized ways. Like that's how I make myself feel better. So uh, let's talk about that. So you say there should be like three types of emergency funds. So I'd love to go through that. And then we can discuss more why it's important to start to break out the funds, even if it's just like earmarked in your budget, right? Like you don't necessarily need separate accounts, but you can. But I'd love to go through the three that you say people should have. Yes, for sure. The first one is I have an emergency fund that's just for me to protect myself in my relationship. I've been married for six years this year and in a relationship for over a decade And so a lot of people think immediately that like we're not secure in our relationship because I have this side fund, but it's super important to protect myself just in case maybe nothing goes wrong in our relationship, but maybe my husband unexpectedly passes away tomorrow and I need access to money now. So that's that fund. The second fund is just a family fund, like a general fund for job loss or if there's some kind of medical emergency or if my kids need something unexpected. And the last one is to protect the four walls around me, the shelter that we live in. Yeah. And when it comes to, let's go back to like the first one, because I find that when we talk about emergency funds, like you do hear like the general rule of thumb, three to six months, the Dave Ramsey, like first step is I think it's 1500 as like a baby emergency fund. Right. So some of that can be confusing. Like you said, depending on what your expenses are, your three to six months for somebody could be 5,000 or 25,000. But breaking down exactly like what you need those funds for can help alleviate maybe like, all right, I'll check off this thing, you know, like this bucket of maybe the car expenses. So when you talk about like the third bucket of things that, or is it the second one? The second one, which is like unexpected. When you think about like car emergencies, are you placing car emergencies in that fund? How are you thinking about that and saving towards that on a monthly basis? Yes, that fund is for pretty much any emergency that can happen, but it's still like, I consider them more like planned expenses. You know, those things will inevitably happen. Like your car will probably break down if it's older. Or you might lose your job if we're experiencing a pandemic or a recession. So those accounts, I keep a flat rate in. But anytime I spend that money or spend any of that money, I replenish it just by doing like a $20 transfer a week. I never do more than that. Like it takes time to build your funds. And I think it's perfectly okay to take time to do it. So that's just kind of how I use that one. But my other ones, like the house one, that's a constant contributing account. Like I'm always putting money in there because I do spend money every single year. And some years I'll spend less than others. Right. So for example, someone's listening to this and they're like, well, I definitely don't have those three buckets or I have a large chunk of money or some sort of money. How do they go about now thinking about how much they need to put into that? So for the emergency fund for yourself, is there a rule of thumb that you use for that? Like how much money you'd need if you have to be on your own? What does that look like? 
For me, it's more so about like covering one month of expenses. It's just like a, if I needed to get by, if yes, my husband passed away and I couldn't access our accounts because a lot of us don't realize that if we're not the primary on our credit card, we might not be able to use that account without them or just different issues like that. So that's just one month expenses. But other people might feel differently. Like maybe you are in a, in a situation where you're in a, experiencing domestic violence and you just need an escape plan or you just want that feeling of security if you've experienced domestic violence in the past, then I think it would be good to even just save like enough for a hotel room for a week or a couple nights so that you can leave whenever you need to leave and have a safe place to go. So there's many different options for like how much. And I never want people to feel like they're leaving too much money on the sidelines because that's not a good thing to do with your money either. So it's kind of just measuring, you know, like what's your risk tolerance? What would make you feel comfortable? Like what amount makes you feel a little bit less butterflies in your stomach? Yeah, that's bucket one. And that makes total sense. And then in bucket two, like for cars, for example, like I always say like the unexpected, expected things that happen, like something is going to happen to your car unless it's under warranty or, you know, it's taken care of by a lease if you have that. But, you know, there's oil changes, there's tires, there's brakes eventually. So consistently like adding and baking that into your budget, like finding a number. I think the typical, and I say rule of thumb, but it's just a sample is like $75 per car, which probably is, can be up or lower depending on the type of car you have. But, you know, that's something that we do every month. It's like, since we have two cars, $150 goes into our car maintenance fund or car sinking fund. Yes. Now it's not in a separate account. So I think that's also what trips people up. Like to me, the first bucket you just talked about protecting yourself should be in a separate account, Mm -hmm. like away from everyone, (laughs) because that is where you need to go if you need to help yourself. The things like car funds or home funds, where do you put that? Do you put it in your general savings account? Is that a separate savings account or do you use earmark it with a budget? I have all of the like car, job loss and family emergencies in one high interest savings account. It is that more traditional account that's like three months of expenses. That's comfortable for us. We have dual income. So like it's really unlikely in my mind <laughs> that we would both lose our job at the same time. Um, so that's our amount there. But yes, the house one, that's completely separate, mostly because we do so much maintenance and that is just like an additional cost. So it's kind of like a sinking fund. Like you mentioned, we're constantly putting money into that account for those unexpected but planned expenses. Right. And I do want to clarify because maybe when I say budget, let's just say you have $10,000 in a high yield savings account for things that come up, right? Like your emergency fund. When I say it's allocated or budgeted out, that means like you're keeping track of via a spreadsheet or a budgeting app. Like it's showing where what's allocated to that 10000 Like it may be just easier to say, oh, I just have 10000 So anything that comes up, I'll just take care of it from that fund. But I know for me, and we could talk about like just how people are different and what helps anxiety with money is that I know a thousand of that is for the car. And I know like 2000 of that is for another, you know, the the house or 3000 of that is for the house. So that way, when I spend money on the car, I'm deducting it and kind of like tracking it. And so that's what I mean when I say like allocating it via a budget, like it doesn't necessarily have to be all like 10 different savings accounts for each different fun, but you can, you can tag it, right? You can mark it in a spreadsheet or in your budgeting app. Yeah. I love that. I'm the exact same way. The compartmentalizing, like I need to label my money so I know why I'm spending it. Because if I don't know why, then I have this anxiety of like, well, I shouldn't be spending it then because it's, this isn't really an emergency. 
And so like, it's giving yourself the permission to spend that money too. Right. Cause you know, like I had, this was earmarked for this. This is the exact reason why I need to use it. And then you don't feel bad about it or not that you don't feel bad, but <laughs> at least it helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. There's always something. Well, it seems like, cause I've spoken to people at different income levels and net worths and even financial independence levels, like people who are completely financially independent, people who are still trying to get out of debt. And, you know, I just feel like the people who even still have money worry about money and worry about if it's enough. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Like, how can we alleviate, no matter where we are on this like financial spectrum, like our fears around having enough and money? Well, first of all, I like to address that, like, that is literally how our system is built. It's nearly impossible to move through life without feeling like you're not going to have enough, whether it's money, time, or like experiences, like it's always going to feel like it will never be enough. That is, that is capitalism. (laughs) And so existing in the system is very hard. There are a lot of broken pieces. And so you have to find a way to make yourself feel comfort in the best way you can. And like, that's a really hard ask for anyone to do. But I do ask people like, put a number down that would actually make you feel good. And a lot of people immediately, their gut response is like, well, a million dollars or $2 million. Do you mean like how much we would need to have like invested in a taxable account or just our net worth? I think just like your emergency fund, like how much money on the sidelines for like when something goes really wrong would make you feel good. If you lost your job tomorrow, there's absolutely no worry in your head. Like you would be okay to cover your bills and you know you'd be able to recover because so many of us are looking for like a rule and you can't find the perfect rule because we're all individual people and we all have different mindsets and different experiences and invisible scripts about money. That's what we all talk about, right? So it's like, what is that realistic number, like a tangible number that actually works for you? It might be like $100,000. Fine. At least you have something to work towards. Hmm. And one of the exercises you talk about is almost like writing down like the worst that can happen and problem solving through that. So can you give some examples of what that looks like? Yeah. So I actually started doing this just for my mental health in general. It was a tip for my therapist and it has helped immensely. It's a practice where you just sit down, you write out 10 things that are really stressing you out right now. Some what ifs of like, this might happen. And then you kind of ask yourself, like, can this actually happen? Is this actually a reality? And if it is, then you keep it. If it's not, then you have to move on. You kind of just sit with it and move on. Then the ones that you can control, you actually start to put together a solution. Because if there is a way to like give yourself back the power, then there are going to be solutions. Right. So basically like thinking about if, you know, what if I lose my job? What do I do then? What's happening too is we're talking about saving and emergency funds for these events, but these events can happen before we have enough money saved in the account, right? So then it's thinking about, okay, if that happens and I do not have enough just yet, what do I do, right? Yes. So I know some of the things you talk about in the book, which I love, is just like, what is your network? Like, is there, what's your access to family? Like really thinking through what the solutions could be, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of us feel so much shame again and judgment and fear about asking for help or looking at those options. Like a lot of us have community options, whether it be a food bank or a women's shelter. And some of us probably feel like so much, I can't do that. Like that does, that's not for me. That's for someone else who needs it more. And it's like, 
but is it? It's okay to accept help and ask for help if those are your options. And if you need to put food on the table, like you have to do what you need to do to get by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think writing down, because sometimes in our mind, we can turn things into a lot more of an issue, right? Like create more drama than we need. And then also the likelihood of things happening. Like, of course, especially with the pandemic, a lot of things are happening that we never expected could happen. So it kind of throws everything on its head about what's possible. But sometimes like you think of things, you're like, all right, is that really, is that really going to happen? Like, okay, like the chances of it are so slim. It's not that you shouldn't worry about it, but it's not something you should focus your energy on. Exactly. I have high functioning anxiety. So it's like, I literally can't go through a day without, in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about 20 things that will go wrong in that day. And so something I've really learned is just to like bring myself back to what's happening right now instead of focusing on the what if, because it's like, even if something as small as being like, I'm drinking my water right now, (laughs) it's like just a reminder, like, no, you're actually like, you're existing in this moment, not this made up moment that doesn't really have a future. Today's podcast is presented in collaboration with Behind the Brilliance, an interview podcast for the intellectually curious and relentlessly ambitious. Each week, host Lisa Nicole Bell talks with innovators, creatives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and work to reveal inspiring stories and practical strategies for leveling up. Behind the Brilliance has more than 200 episodes in the archive. And past guests include Debbie Millman, Seth Godin, Issa Rae, and yours truly. With millions of downloads and a devoted following of smart and successful listeners, Behind the Brilliance has been praised by Inc., Refinery29, Forbes, and Apple for consistently delivering new perspectives on timeless topics. Learn more at BehindTheBrilliance.com and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast or wherever you stream your podcast. Can we talk a little bit about the anxiety portion of this? Because especially for someone who may be listening, who's like, do I have anxiety? Do I have high functioning anxiety? How did you know that you had that? Like, what did that show up like? Tangible things like if you can share, if you feel comfortable sharing in your life. So that maybe someone else can say, wow, like maybe that's also me. I need to go get some assistance. Absolutely. First off, I didn't realize that anxiety can actually lead to depression. So unfortunately, I found out that I had depression before I found out that it was actually from having anxiety. So that was really not a great time in my life. And I do talk about that in the book. But as far as understanding what anxiety was, it actually took my husband telling me like that it wasn't normal for me to be thinking that way. Not that it's not normal. We all have our own versions of that. But it was when I had my daughter, I was dealing with postpartum anxiety. It was like an extreme version of any other anxiety I had experienced. And, you know, I'd take her to the park and she'd be on the swing and I'd be like, okay, she's going to fall off the swing. What am I going to do when she falls off the swing? Or, okay, she's going to scrape her knee. And like, I realized I'm actually not even here. Like I'm not focused on what's happening. I'm not getting to enjoy this moment with my family. I'm so worried about these what ifs that I am no longer even myself because I'm existing in like a completely different place in my mind. And I said to my mom, I'm like, oh man, like, I'm just so worried. Like, this is what's going through my mind. And she's like, that's totally normal. And I'm like, 
well, maybe you have anxiety too. And that's where, and that's where I got it. And I think so many of us, like we grew up in a household that maybe didn't speak about mental health. So then it is hard to approach other people and ask because so many people are like, no, no, that's completely normal. But it's like, no, you actually don't have to go through your day constantly feeling like the sky is falling because it's uncomfortable and like, it's exhausting. Yeah. So how did that, in terms of which, which, by the way, I feel you sometimes you'll go online and you'll see like, and it's in jest, it's like trying to be funny, like threads and some of it's not like they're trying to be funny, but they're saying something like, oh, I didn't know like this wasn't normal. And they'll share like an experience. And then so many people will be like, oh, I think that all the time. I think the last thing I saw was like a thread on Twitter that says no one talks about when you become a parent, like how afraid you are every day that something may happen to your children. And then like there was a thread of like all these like concerned parents. And I'm thinking about like all the things I start thinking about, like there's so many other people experiencing what you've experienced, what we all kind of experience on different levels. So when it came to money, how did you handle that? So like, now I'm curious to see like how you evolved into like mixed up money. What made you start like a personal finance blog and account in the first place? Was it like strictly from trying to get to a better place or what was your motivation behind that? So I originally started my blog because I had amassed a bunch of consumer debt and I had no idea how to get out of it. And so when I started to go home and Google, like, how do I get out of debt? Which is what so many of us do when we're first starting in our journey. I found a bunch of people and a community of people that I could resonate with. So instead of these experts are going to the bank and feeling like humiliated because I wasn't perfect, I was like, oh, this seems so much more safe. And how hard is it for people to find safety in any part of their life? And so like that meant the world to me. And I just started writing about money to hold myself accountable. But it grew into this community of people that are either where I used to be or are much like light years ahead of me. And I think it's really cool to see different experiences around money. I actually started to experience depression because I think when I started my money journey and when I was repaying my money journey, I was doing everything by the book. I was restricting my spend to the extreme. I wasn't letting myself spend any money on, on non-essentials. I had nothing to enjoy. I was driving to work every single morning, driving home, staying home because I needed to save money, paying my debt. And that was it. That was my entire life. And so like, I just felt trapped even though I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing. Like I had the job, I had, I was paying my bills, I was saving for retirement, I was paying off my debt and it didn't feel good enough. And I was like completely struggling with this idea that I'm doing all this right and why do I still feel miserable? And so I've really learned a lot about what I would change in my experience and I'm trying to provide those solutions to other people who are where I used to be now. This is what it means like to be in the thick of it, like in the journey, because so so much of it is surface level. Like we talk about, okay, you paid off debt and you stop going out to eat or, you know, you cut this out your budget and then like we move on to like the next segment, right? Or part of the question. But it's really like, how did you feel? Like some people are fine. Like they actually enjoy kind of like the struggle, which is like fine and spending less and, and re- the restrictive nature of it, um, it's like almost like a competition or game with themselves. But I found that for me, like I found it to be like not something I wanted to keep up and I had to like change the way I looked at money and spent money. But so many people, we don't talk about like how it's not like it's not fun. 
It doesn't feel good. And so what for you would you have changed looking back? And would you have sacrificed the length of time it took you? Because sometimes it's kind of like if you got out of debt by doing that and it feels so good to be out of debt, would you then have said to yourself, you know what, if I would still be in debt now, but it it would take me longer to do it, but I'd be more happy, I, I would take that other route. So what would you have done differently? First off, I totally agree. I think it's like everything we do with our money is invisible. No one else gets to see the progress we make. So it's like you're, it's completely internalized celebrating and, and like excitement. And so it doesn't feel as good as we maybe hope it does because there's just not space to do that with your loved ones, not in every community. I wish it was more acceptable. And like, I think we're getting there. But I don't know if like I felt good about the time it took me. I'm like happy it only took me. It took me less than a year to pay off my debt. How much debt was it? It was $15,000 of consumer debt and I had some student loans as well. So it wasn't like extreme compared to other people. And so I only took 10 months and I only had to stop living my life the way that I wanted to live my life for one year. But the reason I would change it is because it took me up until like a year ago and I'm still working on it. It created such a bad scarcity mindset for me and such a fear to spend and such this like desire to be frugal and like feel shame about doing anything for myself that it's almost like I'm doing more work to fix those emotional parts of my relationship with money. And that's why I'm so passionate about like, no money and finance and your relationship with money and your, your mental health are deeply connected. They are. So when you talk about the scarcity mindset, it's almost just like we use it as a superpower to like get to a goal, like, you know, not spend the money. Or if we have like income coming in, like put it towards like responsible places, investing, saving. And then, so how did you come out of, or how are you still dealing with spending money in a responsible way or in a way, let's take out responsible. Cause even sometimes using that word, cause it's so subjective. What I think is responsible, you know, or you feel judgment. Cause what if I don't want to be responsible? What if I just want to be careless <laughs> with my money? You know, like, I just feel like sometimes like, can there be some of that? And like, so, all right, for me right now, depending on when this comes out, we're spending a lot of money right now because we're renovating our basement. We just booked our 10 year wedding anniversary trip. It's like the most money we spent on a trip. And my husband and I are looking at each but like my husband and I are looking at each other like, can we do this? Like, is and, and you know, there is a part of me that's just like, of course you could have used this. All this money you just spent could have been like investing and like growing in the market, all these things. Like, I know that we'll be okay. Like we have enough money to cover things. We, you know, going through like the list of what could go wrong. We have enough money to like pay for things still. And we're okay. We have our, all those things, but it still doesn't alleviate like this thought of, wait, who am I to be spending all this money on these things? So I'd love to hear how you're working through like spending money. Like how does someone not get rid of the scarcity mindset? Is there a way to use it in a positive way? Is there a way to where you're not going too overboard? Because what if you say, all right, I'm, it's all about abundance. Money flows to me. I'll get the money tomorrow. But then it's like, it's easy to kind of teeter to a not so great place there too. Yeah. Finding balance is so hard. And I don't even know if it's possible to find complete balance in life, but 
it really started to shift for me when I became a mom because like, you know, it's so hard to like treat yourself when you're a mom. It's like you constantly feel guilt. I had read a book, it's called Burnout, and they talk about human giver syndrome, which is like where women are basically, we grow up knowing that we are supposed to give our entire selves to everyone else. Like we are supposed to be the caretakers and be the one that provides in like domestic labor. And so I like read that book and I was like, this is alarming. Like this is totally how I live my life. And like, it's definitely connected to the scarcity mindset of like, well, if I spend money on myself, like I won't have enough for my kids. And like, they're so important. Like I need to put them first. So what I've really learned just in the last like 10 months is I've given myself permission to be selfish. Just saying, I love this. Like I love spending money on coffee, not even the coffee. It's more just like the going out, grabbing a coffee, having something to hold. Like it's just the, it's an experience for me. And like, it makes me feel happy like every like three times a week. And so I don't budget for that anymore. I'm just like, I can spend as much as I want on coffee because like I've done the math years back and it's only ever amounted to 1% of my entire budget, which is like nothing in the grand scheme of things when it makes me happy. So I'm like finding small things like that to say, I don't need to track every penny if it makes me happy and I'm going to be selfish in this moment and do something for just me. Yeah. Even if you're starting off small, maybe it's a bigger thing, but it's also knowing like you won't financially ruin, right? Like I think going through the exercise of if I do spend this, all this money on this thing, where am I financially? Like, will I be okay if the emergency comes up? Like if you go for that coffee, if you, you decided that you wanted to go four times instead of the third time, like, will it be so bad like to just enjoy yourself? And just like you said, it took you so long to come out of, to rectify or to work through the damage that that one year of restrictiveness did. It's like, that's what we need to consider when we talk about like, it's not just spending $10 on a latte and we shouldn't do that. It's like, what is the return on spending that money? It's not just the latte. Of course, that can taste really good too, but it's going, it's getting out of the house. It's like getting fresh air. It's maybe going for the walk. The ripple effects of that matter so much more than just the $10 or the money. Exactly. You can invest in the stock market, but you can also invest in yourself and like your life that you're living right now. I don't know if you've read Die With Zero yet. Yes, he was on the podcast. I loved it. I did a whole episode on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, if anyone's listening and hasn't read it, like that book completely changed my life and like highly recommend. Same. Well, it's part of the reason I was just like, let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, you know, I, and I find myself in a privileged position, you know, and I always like to say that I like acknowledge it. I don't understand why so many people don't want to acknowledge it when they're privileged, like in terms of currently the way um, that our finances are set up and what we can afford to do. And I love that in the book, and I think in general, which is why personal finance, it can rub people the wrong way because like people are not being upfront about like maybe who it's for that they're speaking to. So I think a lot of the personal finance content or things, the people that are creating things, like it's not necessarily for like super poor people who are really like underprivileged and like it's systemic, right? Like you can't budget your way out of it. You can't mantra your way out of certain things, right? But for a certain level where like you do have the income, but you can do more and you can live a, like a life if you just took more control. I think there's a lot of that going on. And I find that for a lot of people kind of listening to not the wrong financial advice, but like you have to be really aware of who it's coming from or like what the intention is. And some people may find that they're actually oversaving, right? Like, and they're over investing and then they're not enjoying like what they're working so hard for. 
Yes, I totally agree. And I think like I say that all the time, I might be the right person for you to listen to right now, but that doesn't mean I'll be the right person forever. Because if we're both growing apart and in different directions and you're making tons of money and I'm still like at my average income, then what's the point? Like we're not connecting in the way that we used to. And like there are enough people in the space now that you don't have to only go to one person for advice. Right. Now, I'd love to talk about how you're balancing like your full-time job. So you're working full-time, right? You have, you wrote a book. So I'm in the middle of writing my book and I'm like, oh my goodness, like it's crazy. (laughs) It's so hard and you have kids. Oh my gosh. How are you balancing that? Like your employer, I'm assuming, because you had them in your bio is fine with all of this. (laughs) So for the people who are just like, well, I have a job and it'd be great to have a job and still be able to do my side thing to write a book or do what Alyssa's doing. How did you navigate that? Was that by accident? Like you just happened to work for a company that got it or what's that balance like? I actually landed the job that I have right now through my blog. They found me and it just happened to be the perfect fit. Like I had the correct education. We both wanted the same things. We had mutual goals. And so it's like an amazing company and I, I love working for them. And so like, I'm very fortunate in that regard. And when it comes to having mixed up money, I refuse to call it a side hustle anymore. This is the first year I actually incorporated as a business. And so I'm not letting myself call it a side hustle this year. But when it was a side hustle, when I started, it was, I had much less responsibility. I had no kids and I didn't own a home. So it was just me and my partner at the time. And we just had endless amounts of time to spend on projects and passions. And that's what I did. And so it it takes a lot of time to build up a blog, as you know, or like any kind of business. And so like, I originally didn't think it would grow to be what it is today. I was just doing it for fun. And now that I'm where I am today, I'm so thankful I started before I had all of these obligations in life, because it is very hard to balance. And like I said earlier in the podcast, like, I don't think balance is even possible for parents. Like I am very thankful because I have a good community, a solid network. My husband is extremely supportive and he picks up a lot of the slack in our household. And so those are things that like, I wouldn't be able to do the stuff that I do if I didn't have a community of people backing me up and cheering me on. And if I hadn't started at the right time in my life. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious what you did before the full, like you got your job. Was it in the same industry? And what did you go to school for? Did it translate to what you did out of college? Yeah. So I went to school for communications and journalism. So I majored in both of those areas and I had worked in just marketing for the years prior to that in like one awful toxic workplace that I speak about in the book. And then another really amazing company where I had like such an incredible boss and mentor and then it was Zolo. Like I've, I've not job hopped as much as other people have because I am someone again, who's super anxious and loves comfort. And so like, those are things that I value as much as some other people do. Like I love stability and I love permanence. Yeah. And, and again, it's just really super cool that you were just following your interests. You wanted to be accountable. You created a blog and then, but you got a job that's perfect and fits right in because you put yourself out there. And so it's like a perfect fit. But how did you decide? Cause some people come to up to this decision point, right? Or like 
this idea of do I continue to work for someone else or do I grow up mixed up money, right? And like create an empire because I'm writing a book and I, I do have a, a, a growing social media platform. What were your thoughts around that? Like, how did you decide? And maybe it's something you're still deciding, but how did you decide that entrepreneurship 100% of the time was not for you? For me, it's purely financial. Like I am so obsessed with having benefits and Again, that stability piece that like so many people when they leave their job to go pursue their side hustle as a full-time career, it's okay, like it's gonna be risky and like we'll figure it out and like the roller coaster income. Like I don't feel comfortable doing that because I have kids and I have a house and like my husband's on parental leave right now. So like I'm the sole income earner for our family. Yes, things are going incredibly well for mixed up money and like is there potential for this to be full time in the future? Absolutely. I never count anything out. But right now it's like, this makes sense for my life and my lifestyle. And I think that's perfectly okay if, if you aren't comfortable like going off and doing your own thing, because that is such a common theme we're seeing right now in a lot of like influencer accounts. Yeah. And I just am saying like, if you can find and create a career or a job and it depends on yourself, everyone's situation is different that you actually love, you know, like I always say entrepreneurship is not for everyone because I did take the leap, but I, you know, I definitely would have thought about this differently if, you know, God, thank God my husband has the benefits. So that's not something we had to worry about. That's a privilege, but we did have mortgage. We did have kids. Like I, I had just given birth to my third child, you know, but it just felt like, and feels like the unsaid things or people are saying it, but you know, people are more attracted to like the, the glitz of it and the, all the money that you could potentially make. But it's like, it's hard. Like it's, you really have to build a consistent stream of income. It's not always consistent. People don't always pay you on time. <laughs> yes. Hardly ever. Never. They never do. Um, I'm waiting on like three brands to pay me. Hello. You oh know, my so. gosh, same. <laughs> like, it's really like, it's so interesting. And so there's nothing wrong with loving a job or a career. If that's what brings you like comfort and it's all good. So it's just part of what I think when I think about the financial freedom and independence journey, you have to craft what it looks like for yourself, not based on like what, you know, Alyssa like has done or Jamila, you can take it as like maybe like a roadmap, but you have to create your own roadmap from there. A hundred percent. I agree. So what is one of the things that you'd want to like just have for someone to take away? Like if they're thinking about picking up your book, Financial First Aid, Essential Tools for Confident, Secure Money Management, what's like a takeaway that you're like, okay, if you feel this way or if you're having issues or you need more guidance, pick this book up that you want to share? I think it's mostly for anyone who's feeling like they're super afraid or they just like reject the idea or disassociate from their finances in general. Like you don't want to log into your bank account. You don't want to reflect and see like where you're spending your money and what those potential emergencies could be, because it's intimidating. Like I really try and make it more comfortable. And I try and eliminate that judgment and that shame that so much of finance used to be rooted in, because it doesn't have to be that way. It's okay to like, take whatever options exist for you and make them work. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, like I said, I'm if you're watching this, we should, this should go up on the YouTube, my YouTube channel, but like, again, the illustrations, I'm showing this in the video, if you're watching this on YouTube, it's so light and welcoming and a lot of finance books or just in general, like, you know, it's like so boring and like, but look, it's just, I don't know, it's just beautifully designed. And so I feel like yeah, it's something that's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. And I can't wait for more people to read it. So 
Alyssa, please tell everyone where they can find more about you and follow you and get the book. Absolutely. So you can follow me anywhere at Mixed Up Money. I'm on all social media platforms and I'm on mixedupmoney.com. If you just want to like quickly type it in and find all of my content because it exists right there. And then the book is where? You can find Financial First Aid at any major book retailer. So wherever you choose to shop. Awesome. And I'll make sure I put all the links to Alyssa's social media, her website and the book in the show notes for this episode. Alyssa, it was great to get to meet you finally. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. And I can't wait for your book. I'm like really pumped up now. (laughs) Yay. Don't forget, we are giving away copies of Alyssa's book, five copies. So you can get a chance to win her book, Financial First Aid, by going to journeytolaunch.com slash win. There you'll see how you can enter to win. You'll put your name and email address in, and the contest will be live from June 8th. That's Wednesday, June 8th to Monday, June 13th. All right, good luck. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here. So show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.